So I'm excited tonight because if you've seen the box up here, you know that we are getting back into our theme, which is called My Garden, and I am super, super excited. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be so exciting. Really, really exciting. Super exciting. And my title tonight is called Dress Rehearsal. Dress Rehearsal. Ask your neighbor, have you ever been in part of a dress rehearsal before? Dress rehearsal. If you have your Bibles, my main text tonight is going to be Mark chapter 8. And we are going to be Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And I am reading out of the New Living Translation tonight. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. Here we go. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Jesus asked them, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, he thanked God for them, and then he broke them into pieces. He gave them to to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. Verse 8, they ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he crossed over to the region of Dalamuthua. Pharisees demanded a miraculous sign. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and they started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and he left them. Then he crossed to the other side of the lake. So tonight, as we break down this story, and we're actually going to pick it up here in a little bit and finish out where, where Jesus started in this story. It said that Jesus had compassion for these people. If you look compassion up in the Greek, it means to have a deep yearning for, to feel sympathy, to have pity, to be moved, to be moved. God has put us on this planet with people, right? And, and sometimes, how many of us, if we're really, really honest, there are times that we do have compassion for some people, certain people. But if we're really, really honest, how many of us don't have compassion for all people, Right? If we're really, really, really honest, most of us in this room, there are people who just bother us. There are people who bother us. There are people who just get under our skin. Sometimes it's the homeless. Sometimes it's the lazy. Sometimes it's people who, you know, murderers and thieves and all those horrible things. And there are horrible things that people do. But no matter, no matter what people do, Jesus Christ has compassion Again, in the Greek, meaning a deep, deep yearning, sympathy, pity, to be moved for all people, all people. You think a man like Moses. How many of us know Moses? And most of us know Moses because he parted the Red Sea. He didn't part his hair. Maybe he did, but he parted the Red Sea, right? Moses, everybody knows Moses and the plagues in Egypt. Moses was also a murderer, 
right? This was man was a murderer. He killed somebody. Now, he was standing up for a brother, right? So most of us were like, yeah, right? He was standing up for his brother. But he still was a murderer. He still was a murderer. And one of the greatest leaders in the Jewish culture was a man that God had grace for, even though he was a murderer. Right? The Bible, and this is one of the greatest things that I love about the Bible. One of the greatest things I love about the Bible, it's full of real people who did real things. It's not fake people. It's not people who the names aren't made up. These are real people, real places who did bad things. But even though they did bad things, God grace for them, and he used them, and they changed the world. Jesus had compassion in his time and in his generation for the people that he was around. How many of us today have true compassion for all people? And that's really a hard thing. Because I'll be honest, there are definitely people and groups that bother me, right? Last year, 2020, was in a crazy year, right? We had COVID, and then we had the election, which was crazy, right? And most of us, if you, I mean, the election year, I mean, COVID was bad, but the election was right up there, close to COVID, right? It was, it was a crazy, nasty year, And how many of us watched things last year that just really, really bothered us? How many of us saw things that really, really bothered us? Sometimes what we're bothered by are the people that God wants us to have compassion for. Do we have compassion for the political party that we're not affiliated with? Do we have a compassion for a president that we we didn't elect, right? Do we have compassion for people who don't look like us, sound like us, dress like us? Do we have compassion for people who are lost, dumb, and confused? Because that's where God wants us today. In our generation, in our time, you were born for such a time as this, right? God could have made you, and and believe me, I want to be a cowboy just like the rest of y'all, right? You know, back in the day, cowboy hats, guns, shooting, gunslinging, all that looks awesome, right? God didn't put me back then, and neither did he put you back then, because he needed you today. God needed you today, and God's not done with you today yet either, right? God is not done with your life. He's not done with the plan for your life. And what he needs us to do as he was here and demonstrating a couple thousand years ago, have compassion for all people, all shapes, all sizes, all colors. Have compassion on people. He looks at these people and he says, man, they've been with me for three full days. Now, you come to church, and, and church average today, you know, services are about an hour and a half, right? And, and preaching typically today, people preach today on average anywhere from 25 minutes up to an hour and 30 minutes, Right? Hour and 30 minutes of preaching, right? Most of you are thankful. I go somewhere in between 30 to 45, 46 minutes. I'm in somewhere in that range. These people who are with Jesus, three full days of preaching. Three full days. The word of God was so good. The word of God was so powerful that listen, listen to this. This is, this is the most important part. They were willing to skip lunch. They were willing to skip their donut. They were willing to skip dinner. Why? Because they just wanted to hear another word from Jesus. The hunger 
that the people had. It wasn't just for food. It was hunger for truth. It was hunger for something real. And so as Jesus spoke, they were willing three whole days preaching, not worship, preaching three days. And so Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, listen, these people, they've been with me for three days. They're hungry. If I send them away now, they're going to faint. If I send them home away now, they're going to faint. He said, so you need to feed them. And the disciples, you got to love the disciples. I, I love these guys because you know what? They are just like us. They're like, Jesus, where are we going to feed? Now, you have to remember, the Bible back then, it was written, and, and we know that they talk a lot about men. Ladies were in here too, right, ladies? We're not going to leave you out. But it mentions that there was 4,000 men, right, 4,000 men. So that doesn't include women and children. So roughly eight to 9,000 total people were there, eight to 9,000 people. And the disciples are thinking, how in the heck, Jesus, why are you asking us to do something? We can't do that. I don't want to go to Walmart right now and shop for 9,000 people. None of us would, right? Who would want to go to Walmart or Costco, anywhere to shop for 9,000 roughly people? Where are you going to get enough food? Jesus turns to them and he says, well, what do you have? you have what do you have you got seven loaves of bread you got a few small fish many times we're waiting on God and many many of us we are exactly just like the disciples it's God how are you going to provide in this situation God how are you going to bring healing God how are you going to bring money God how are you going to bring me a new job we're saying the same exact thing to the disciples but where and then Jesus, what did he turn and do immediately? He said, what do you have? Because most of the time, it's, it's in our mind we're thinking something big and God's thinking something little. God, in our minds, we need millions of dollars. And yes, we, we pray and we believe for millions. We don't need one million anymore because one million doesn't do hardly anything, right? You sell a couple of houses, that's a million bucks, right? A million dollars today, that's like nothing. So if we're going to pray, let's, stop, let's just go one, let's go straight to 10 or 20, right? We need 10 or 20 million. We, in our minds as people, we're thinking bigger, better, Right? Once you get, you know, one truck, you got to go to a bigger truck, right? Once you get a nice car, a BMW, the smaller one, you got to go to the bigger one, right? In our minds, we're always thinking bigger is better. When we go through the drive through okay, how many of us, and maybe it's mainly the men, when they ask, do you want to upsize? Yes, I do, right? Yes, I do. Larger fries, larger drink. Most of us, honestly, we're thinking, yes. disciples, no, no matter how much they saw from Jesus, no matter how many miracles, no matter how many great things, every time Jesus asked of them, the response was always the same. How, why in the heck are you asking me? What are you expecting me to do? What do you, I, I can't do this. They always failed to see what they had within themselves. They always failed to see. Now, later on down the road, we know what happened, right? But in the moment of training and class and discipleship, every time Jesus called on them, they always failed to see what they had within. And you know what? Today, there's many believers who are failing to see what you, what I, what we have within us. 
We fail to see the greatness that is put inside of us. We fail to see so many good things that God has given to us in our mind, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our feelings, in our emotions, and in the gifts and talents. The gifts and talents that are represented in every one of us in this room. God has made you perfectly. He has made you exactly how he wants you. God has given you so many things. And so, so many times when we're praying, we're thinking bigger is better, upsize, value size, I need the larger french fry. God is saying, I need to take the little that you have because I need to prove that I'm God and you're not. I want you not to rely on you anymore. I don't want to rely on you. I don't want to rely on your job. I don't want to rely on your finances. I need you to rely on me. It's the little that you have that I will take and that I will multiply. And so he says to them, what do they have? And he says to them, takes the seven loaves, he takes the three fish, and then he tells the disciples, I want you to go and I want you to distribute the food. You notice that in the Bible with Jesus, Jesus cared about people, their spiritual lives. He cared that they were going to go to heaven, right? How many times did Jesus say to people, your sins are forgiven, right? There was tax collectors. There was prostitutes. There was good people. There was bad people. There was beautiful people. There was ugly people. All of them, right? He said, your sins are forgiven. But at the same time, do you also notice that he cared for people's physical needs, How many times we see, even in this story, Jesus cared that people were hungry. And he knew that they were spiritually hungry. They hung out with them for three days. He knew how spiritually hungry they were. But he also cared about their physical hunger. God cares about our physical needs. God cares about what we drive. God cares about where we live. God cares about the physical needs that we have as people. Kim and I, we have always for the 24 and a half years that we've been married, for the 20 years that we've been in, in ministry, youth ministry, and pastors, we have always thought it's important to feed people. And obviously when you do youth ministry, it's really important. Stuff them full so they don't talk, right? So we would bring pizza. We didn't bring donuts back in the day to kids, but we would bring pizza, right? Almost every week sometimes because we cared. We knew that kids, and you know what the sad thing is? I can tell you that when I was, when we were youth pastors, we had a couple boys in our, in our class where growing boys, their parents would lock, padlock the refrigerator because they could not afford to feed young growing boys in their own household. And so when they came to church, they're like starving. They're not just, we're not just talking one hollow leg. They had hollow body, right? They were, they were hungry because mommy and daddy didn't want to feed them. Mommy and daddy didn't want to keep, you know, the fridge full because, you know, young teenagers and junior high boys are just going to eat and eat and eat and eat and then stink and stink, but we won't go there. But they kept on eating, right? There's a lot of hungry people in our world. We know that every 30 seconds, someone dies of hunger. Every 30 seconds. Most of us in this room, we are not going to die if we miss a meal in 30 seconds, right? We will make it through. But around the world, 30 seconds, there's young people who will die because they have no food at all. There are people who have no clean water, and so they die every single day because they absolutely have no clean water to drink. We're thankful. Even though if you were to drink water out of the faucet here in Hemet, it's not the best. I don't recommend to do it every day. It is clean water. 
and you're not going to die from drinking it. But if you leave the United States of America and you go to other places, you will die by drinking their water. Kids, there are adults, sickness, hunger, dying every single day. Jesus Christ, he cared about your salvation. He cared. Are you going to heaven? Your sins are forgiven. All of those things. But what did he also do? He also cared about people's physical needs. You take that to his, his disciples and his, his half-brother James, who you have to love half-brothers, right? James said, listen, I can talk about faith all day long till I'm blue in the face, but I'd rather not talk about my faith. I'd rather show you my faith. I'd rather show you. It's nice to say to somebody, I love you, and then we, we know that they're dying. They, they don't have anything in their house. What does it mean as a Christian if we say I love you when, when people are still dying and going to hell and when people are still dying of hunger? What does it mean to say I love you, right? What does it mean in marriage if your spouse says I love you all the time but never does anything at all to show love, right? Actions speak louder than what? Words. Is our Christianity speaking loud today that we truly care about people? Do we say I love you? Hope you have enough food in the house, but not really. I just love you anyway. Because honestly, be honest, that's what most of us do. Jesus cared for people's physical and spiritual needs. And I love as he distributed the food and he passed it out. It said that the people were satisfied. And the word in the Greek there, to satisfied, I love this, to gorge themselves. The people, and they had seven loaves, right? How many of us, we've gone out to buffets and, and we have gorged ourselves, right? How many of us have gone out for our birthday dinner? How many, how many times has Joel, no offense, gorged himself today on food? Because it's his birthday, right? And that's what you do. You celebrate, right? The word <laughs> be satisfied in the Greek means to gorge yourself with a supply of food in abundance. What abundance was there? There was seven pieces of bread and three fish. How was, how was roughly eight, 9,000 people satisfied? And most of us in this room, we could eat the seven pieces of bread, seven loaves of bread and three fish ourselves, right? Most of us men would. Some of you ladies would too. You're just not going to admit it, right? But we would, most of us, take the seven loaves, knock it out. So you tell me, how was 9,000, 8,000? How was even 4,000 men gouging abundance over seven loaves and three fish? God in this story, it says that they picked up leftovers. God could have given them just enough. God could have said, hey, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do three bread today and one fish because then there's not going to be any leftovers. How many of us, some people, leftovers is one of those conversations we either, you're, you're, you're a leftover person, you like going out to eat, you go home, and you say you're not going to eat again, but two hours later you do, because you open up the fridge. Some people eat the leftovers, and some despise leftovers, right? Throw it in the trash, I don't need to see it again. Had it once, and I'm done. This is what's so awesome and amazing about God. He fed them, 8,000 people, and he could have just given them just enough. There was seven baskets of leftovers. Why was there leftovers? Why? Because God wants to point out when we allow him to provide, when we allow him to heal, when we allow him to open up the door, there 
always will be extra. How many of us love the extra, right? The extra. When it's your birthday and you're expecting 20 bucks and you get 50, how many of us know the extra is a blessing, right? How many of us remember as kids and you wake up Christmas morning and you're thinking, I hope I have, you know, my little tricycle there. I hope I have my, my skateboard. And not only did you get the tricycle, but you got the skateboard and you got a teddy bear, which teddy bears are awesome, right? How many of us remember the extra? Our God is a God of the extra. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's the God of the extra. God isn't a God of just enough. You know, last week I was shopping for Easter, and I was asking my daughter and her friend how much should I get, you know, for the kids. This is why you have kids, and especially the girls who are just like mom. Dad, we need to give our best and buy as much as you can. Because I was just saying, well, we need just enough. See, again, I'm just like the disciples. It's just enough, right? And my, my oldest daughter, she was like, Dad, no, I want to give them my best. I want to give every kid who walks in my very, very best. We walk into service here to give God my very best. Whatever my best looks like today. And, and believe me, it's been a long week, right? Some weeks feel like heaven. Some weeks feel like hell, right? Some weeks are wonderful. Some weeks are just busy and crazy, right? Whatever your best looks like today, do you walk in and say, I'm not giving God just my leftovers today. I'm giving him my very, very best. He is the creator of the world. He is the creator. He's given me life. He's given me breath. He's given me hope. He's given me salvation. He cares that my stomach is full. He cares for me. He wants me to have extra, not just the gum, but gum's good. He wants me to have extra, extra. And so he deserves my very best. When we give, we know when Haggai, when it comes to giving, Haggai 1.3 says, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Wages will disappear as though you're putting them into pockets filled with holes. Why? Because people cared more on their personal lives than they did for their spiritual lives. God deserves our very best. If he's a God of the best, don't you think he wants his kids to be as well? We have to learn to be just like our dad in heaven, to give every single thing that we have, to give, to meet people's needs, to give, to make sure that the church has enough, to give our single best everywhere we go. How many of you would be happy and satisfied your spouse or your parents just gave you a couple crumbs to eat every day you had every single day it's a great diet plan but if they every day this is your allowance i'm going to give you two crumbs for breakfast three for lunch because that's important and then dinner you get one crumb you just a little tiny crumb honestly what we do with our god sometimes because we're living life and god thank thankful he's so gracious right thankful that god is so good and gracious because most of us do give crumbs to him every single day. God is not a God of crumbs. When he is thinking about you, he's thinking to bless you and then some. So in return, God deserves our very, very, very best. Every story you see with Jesus most of the time has a little, just a little insert with the religious people, right? Turn to the neighbors and say, ah, oh, religious people, ah, oh, religious people. 
You know, the religious people, they come to Jesus and they say, and this is crazy, right? This is where, you know, all the gangsters and the crips and the bloods got this. But they come to Jesus and say, what's your sign? What's your sign? And you know what's crazy? This is what blows my mind. You know, you, um, you know that your daughter's... You know, you have cute kids, and they're out walking around. And so my daughter's walking around last week, and some guy walks up. He doesn't ask what their sign is, doesn't ask what their number is. It's, what's your Instagram, right? What's your Instagram? And it's kind of like how the, the Pharisees in this story, when they came to Jesus, they said, what's your sign? What's your sign? I want to know what your sign is. Prove. Prove to me. Prove to me right now. Prove that you have the authority to do what you say you do. How many of us know religious people? You know, the religious people, think about all that they said to Jesus. They, they wanted to test him. They wanted to question. And how many of us would agree? Jesus seemed like a nice guy, right? Right? Didn't he seem like a nice guy? Religious people, no matter how nice we are, there's always someone complaining. No matter how much you do for someone, someone's always got to run their mouth, right? Bless them anyway, right, Lord? Bless me, Lord, right? Bless them, Lord. I actually want to pick up in this story Mark chapter 8, verse 14, as the story goes on. So the disciples, they get into a boat, and I love this because remember, and I, I, all of that story to paint the picture for this moment right here in this, in this part of the scripture. They just fed thousands of people. They get into a boat, and they're about to cross the other side. Mark 8, 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They'd only had one left of bread with them in the boat. Verse 15, as they're crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. We know bread's important. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said to them, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. When I had just, we just got done feeding the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? The disciples just got done feeding a multitude. They go on a boat trip, and they're like most men. Right? We know that food's important, but we're not thinking who's packing lunch, right? And I'm sure they're probably thinking John, the disciple who everybody loved because Jesus loved him, right? They're thinking he's going to bring the lunch. So they're probably thinking there's 12 guys, and we know that 12 adult men sometimes don't think, right? If they're going fishing, if they're going on a boat trip, they're thinking boat trip. That's all they're thinking. It's going to be fun, it's going to be sunny, I'm going to catch some fish. They just get done feeding thousands of people. They go on a boat trip, and it says they start to talk among themselves, and they're saying, no food. What are we going to do? It's what men do, talk about food, right, sometimes, or donuts. Disciples got on the boat, and they're worried because they did not have any. They only had one loaf of bread for 13 of them. Jesus, knowing what they're talking about, he turns to them and he says, listen, you guys need to watch out. The yeast of the Pharisees inherit is destructive, and I have to say, the yeast of the Pharisees, it's still alive and well today. If you think about the Pharisees and you think about the religious, they took God's word and they turned it into their own theology. It sounded good to them. They made up hundreds of laws. 
God had 10, they made hundreds, right? They took what God had given them, the Pharisees, the religious. They didn't believe, even though the Bible talked about the Messiah, they didn't believe that when the Messiah came here, that the Messiah could forgive sins. So they could not see Jesus as the Messiah because their own theology, their own thinking had blinded them, had blinded them from who Jesus was. And many today, there are so many people across the United States and across the world, their own theology, just like the religious. So many people's own thoughts, own feelings are blinding from the moment and the truth. So Jesus says, you need to watch out. You need to be careful of the yeast. And then he says to them, and I love this, do you not see yet? Do you not understand? Many of us, right, if we were there, we're saying, I would have got the point. We fed 5,000. We fed 4,000. He walked on water. He raised the dead. This guy's awesome. But these guys were with Jesus 24-7. And you know what? They still were not getting it. They weren't getting it. He just fed 4,000 men with seven loaves, three fish, and they get into a boat, and they're asking, what's for dinner? The 4,000 men ate and were fully satisfied. The 4,000 men, they ate fully satisfied. They gouged themselves on food. What's the first conversation we hear about when they get in a boat? What's for dinner? They're saying, we only have one loaf of bread. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And tonight, this is where our story picks up in my garden. So all of that to paint the picture to get to my garden. Actually, I'm going to need some help. Mr. Joel, if you can come on up. I'm actually going to need your help. And, uh, oh, Aaron stepped out. So, Micah, why don't you come on up? I'm going to need your help as well because we need some real muscle here along with Joel's muscle. Woo, ow. Look at those. Hurt. <laughs> so you're going to be picking up some heavy rocks in there, okay? And you're going to hold up one. So if you want to grab a big one. Now, tonight I have selected six rocks. Turn to your neighbor and say, six rocks. And I need you to remember six because it's important. So those are beautiful. Look, it's got some paint on there. So you got to hold it up so you can see a little bit of the paint. And so tonight as we pick back up in my garden, there's three verses I want to share before we jump into tonight's theme on my garden. John 3.3 says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. All of us would agree, being born again is important. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. How many of us have enjoyed when you meet Jesus, you can become a new person? You get, it's a new day and it's a fresh start. For those of us who made bad choices, fresh starts are awesome, right? Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Jesus becomes a new person. The old life is gone. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. Aaron, you can come on up too. I was going to have you come up, so you come on up here too. I'm a, you can hold all my small rocks. First Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So I want you to remember those thoughts Born again, new creation, living forever. And so tonight as we jump into to our theme, we have six rocks. We picked out two nice rocks from our backyard, which I'm not giving away tonight. I'm going to take them back to my backyard. And then, actually, I only need four. So, go. 
I brought extra just in case, in case the kids find them and throw them at somebody on the way over, you know? So we got two big rocks, four little rocks. So I'm going to describe each rock to you for a second. Related to life. We talked about when we got into our theme and we ended this a couple weeks ago, that God has all intended for us to have a beautiful garden life. For the disciples, for the Jewish people, he said to the Jewish people, there is a promised land that is promised, that is waiting, right? And that spiritually describes a life for all of us, that once you become born again, there is a promised land that is waiting to be discovered by you, by you alone, that God has given to you, which in my mind and in this scene is a garden, like a garden. And all of us, how many of us love beautiful gardens? We love, you know, beautiful flowers and beautiful scents, unless you're allergic and then you sneeze and it's no fun. But anyway, we're thinking beautiful. So this is a beautiful garden that we're putting together. In our first week, we talked about the frame and how important it is to protect what's on the inside and to protect from keeping naughty things on the outside away, right? We talked about how important it is if you're going to plant something in your garden, how important the dirt is, right? It's, it's important to have good dirt in the bottom. And then last, the last time, we did look at rocks. And we talked about rocks a little bit. And so what God put on my heart is to go into rocks a little bit more for the next Two hours. Hey, Jesus preached for three days. I can have two hours, right? I'm just kidding. Hi, Joel. I know it's his birthday. He's got his birthday party waiting. That's why we're going to keep going long. That's why I brought him up here, so he's got to stay here as long as we hold him, right? So rock number one. Joel, why not you hold up your rock for us to see? How many of us have ever known people that we trust, that we love, and, and we love them? And how many of us know people that we trust and love, and sometimes the people that we trust and love sometimes say things that come out of their mouths that just aren't very nice? How many of us have known people in this world, and there's 7 billion people, right? Sometimes parents, God bless them, they're wonderful. Sometimes friends. Two burritos on a stage, that is dangerous. I should have reminded myself. We're going to start playing with the rocks. My goodness. But as Joel holds his rock here, this is our number one rock. Isn't it a nice rock? This represents in our lives the words, the people that we love, people that we trust, that we look to, people that we like. We consider them friends, nice people. And when they say things to us, it hurt us. Sometimes the words that they say are painful because they don't know how to really be nice sometimes. Take that rock and we put it in our garden. You can place it down there. Thank you. Your job's done. Thank you. Give you good Joel a hand. He did good. Mike and Aaron had got to hang on for a little bit. And you know what happens? When, when something gets spoken over us that hurts, at first, we're thinking, God, how do I get rid of this thought? How do I get rid of this word that it's in my mind because it's bothering me? And we, we pray and we ask, and there's just thoughts that just haunt us. But you know what happens after a while? With this beautiful rock, you know what we, we start to say? I don't want to get rid of it anymore because it reminds me of that person that I used to love and trust. Every time I think of that word, it reminds me of that person that I, I, that I, I still love and trust kind of, but not really. I say a little bit, but not really. So, God, I just want to leave that rock right here. I just want to leave it right here. Mike, I want you to hold up your rock for me. And my number two rock, this rock represents situations. And how many of us... And, and I consider all of you brain surgeons. I consider you all smart, amazing, super intelligent people. How many of us have, have ever made a mistake that we wish we can just wash away? 
How many of us look at the calendar of life in, in the 35 years of living that we've been living, look back and say, man, I wish I could just wa- wash that one off the calendar. Sometimes we as people put ourselves in bad places, in bad situations, and we're thinking something good's going to happen. It doesn't. Something bad, 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 stings, hurts, happens. This rock, we already have one rock because there's those people that we love and trust. Well, that's awesome. Is there. But you know what we do? The second rock to our garden. And these are the bad situations that we can't get out of our head. These are the, the bad mistakes that we've made. We can't, we can't wipe them off our calendar. We can't wipe them out of our past. Thank you, son. Man, he, doesn't he look handsome? Man, whoo. He look good. Whew. I'll never forget when... You know, we get married, Kim and I, and, and you're, you know, going to have kids someday. And we were thinking, it, I guess we used to tell people we're going to have like 12 kids, which we still can. But <laughs> somebody help her, she's going to faint. She's choking herself until <laughs> she faints, right? Yeah. We used to tell people we're going to have, eh, you know, 12 kids. You know, we can have dogs instead. You know, Jack's going to have babies or something. But I remember. You know, when we're going to start having kids, it's like, God, I really, 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 really want a boy first. And, and when, you know, your wife gets pregnant and you find out it's a boy. It's just awesome and amazing. And, <clears throat> you know, when you have boys and girls, you look at your sons. And, and the first word, when I describe, you know, my kids, my guys and the girls, when I first look at my, my son, Micah, it's like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so proud. Even though you don't even know who they are, you know, when they, when they just pop right out of mom's tummy and, you know, that the birth's over and it's so simple and easy process and everybody's cleaned up and everything's so easy. First thing you do is me as a dad, I look at my boy and it's like, I'm so proud of my son. He is so awesome. You know, and, and then <laughs> when your girls are born, you look at them, I'm thinking son, and I'm, wow, I'm so proud. And daughters are born and it's like, she is so beautiful. Wow. Girls are so cute, right? It's so beautiful. So anyway, I just had to say that because I love my boy's son, Micah. Thank you for coming up here. Yeah, you're awesome. So we have our rocks. We don't want to get rid of the words because the words remind us of the people. At first, we wanted to get rid of the words. We did. But then the longer we held on to those words, we didn't want to get rid of them anymore because we wanted to keep a memory of that person, even if we didn't like them anymore. And then there was bad situations. All of us in this room, we've made mistakes. And some of our mistakes are little. And some of our mistakes aren't so little. Every mistake that we, we make, it's, it's not good. You know what God says, all sin is sin. And everyone who sins falls short of the glory. Every sin breaks the connection. When you sin, we break the connection between earth and heaven, between us and him. And so every, every sin is not good. And so situations, even though maybe situations that happen to us, it's not something that we planned, it's not something that we asked for, something bad happened, and it's sin, and it's wrong. And many people today in our world, they're carrying around this rock, and some of them have two, but some of them also, they have this one that really sticks out because there's painful, there's guilt. You know, it's actually the reason why some people don't come to church because they're afraid to be exposed. Some people don't want to come into the doors of church. Some say it's COVID, but that's just an excuse. Some say it's Saturday, but that's just an excuse too. 
You know what? I'm I'm glad that you know we're going to be moving to Sundays, and I'm really really glad glad for that. But at the same time, I'm glad that we dabbled in Saturday for a while because you know what? Sometimes when we start to get a little religious, God's got to break that religion out of us. And it doesn't matter what day we go to church; it's matter it matters that we have church, right? And so we've been on Saturdays for a little bit, doing a good job with those little rocks. Been concentrating, hold those straight up for a little bit here. Good job. So. Little Rock, number one, and I'm going to try and move along quick here because I got some good stuff. It's our old friends. Now, I read you, before we started talking about rocks, three verses that talk about being a new creation that talk about being born again. When you become born again, God says a new life has begun. So if a new life has begun, does he want you to hold on to the old that you had? And you know what? That's friends included because old friends are going to hold you from your new life ahead. Old friends, old moments, because when we get together with old friends, what do we talk about? Old times, right? So most of us, we carry around these little rocks of our old friends because, you know, we want them in our back pocket. If I ever need them, they're there, right? If I ever need Joe and Bobby, if I need, you know, Jim, Bob, and if I need somebody, they're there, right? (laughs) Little rock number two. How many of us love music? And how many of us, just as we liked our old friends, we, li- we, loved our, we loved our old music. But when you turn on your old music, do you know what your old music reminds you of? Your old self. When I got saved at 19 and I surrendered my life to God, and this is back when they had cassettes, in case you don't know what those are. There were these little plastic things that you put into your car or, or this tape recorder thing, right? But when I got saved, I had long hair, and I took all my cassettes, and I, and I got a buzz cut, shaved my hair, took all my cassettes that I had, all secular music, and I burned them in a fire. And I said, God, that old life, it's gone, and I don't want to go back. If we're born again, if we're new creations, if talking to our old friends reminds us of old moments, if listening to our old music reminds us again of our old moments, What are we doing? We're still holding on to things from the past. Number three rock is little mistakes. Because you have big mistakes, right? We have words, we have big mistakes. But then we also have little mistakes that we hold on to. And sometimes we have big regrets from the big mistakes, but sometimes there's a lot of little regrets. Because how many of us know life is short? Life is so short. People are here today, gone tomorrow. That's why you love the people you share life with because you don't know how much time you have. We don't. But sometimes we hold on to the little mistakes too and we put them in our garden. And then our last rock, number four. Nope, I went backwards. <laughs> number four. Jewish people, you follow the Old Testament. When did they always get in trouble? They always got into trouble because they were attracted by what the neighbors were doing. Oh my goodness, listen, look at what the neighbors are playing over there. Man, that, that is my song over there. I'm just going to go hang out there for a little bit, right? The Jewish people, as soon as they started getting curious with, with what other people are doing, what did they do? They jumped right in, right? And they started, they, they started folding into peer pressure. Give Aaron a hand. Good job, Aaron. You're awesome. Now, this is where it gets a little crazy. And I have to tell you, when God dropped this on my lap, I was like, wow. Six rocks, right? Six rocks. Revelation 13, 8 says this. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, 
for it is the number of man, which is 666. Why is it so many Christians, so many believers today aren't moving forward? Why is it so many people are stuck in between? Why is it so many people aren't tasting the blessings of God and the, his goodness and all of these things? Why? Because we have a devil. And you know what the devil wants? He wants you to be stuck on six. He wants you to be stuck on six. What is the number, man? Six. What's the number that's going to come out one day? The mark 666. He wants the devil. He is in overtime. He's in triple overtime. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to get you just to be consumed with what? Just you. Even if it's good, even if it's bad, he wants you to be stuck on yourself. Today, more than ever, people, what it says in the end times, the love of many is going to grow cold. People are going to be selfish and not selfless. Why? Because even our mistakes, even the words, even the, even the big bad situations, they're just running through so many people's heart, minds, and souls, and they can't get rid of it. And so tonight as we wrap up, my title tonight was called Dress Rehearsal. And this is because so many Christians find themselves in the dress rehearsal of life. A dress rehearsal is defined as the final rehearsal before the live show. If your life kept repeating yourself and you always were in a dress rehearsal but you never made it to the live show, you might be thinking Groundhog Day, right? You might be thinking, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? That's where many believers are. They're in the dress rehearsal of life not able to make it to the live show, the best part. Why? Because of the things that the devil keeps us, the things that the devil keeps reminding us, the things that he keeps throwing at us, the people who throw rocks at us. And not only do we have our own six rocks, because sometimes we do get rid of them. Sometimes we realize they're no good, and so we just start getting rid of them, right? But you know what happens when we get rid of rocks? You know what happens when we get rid of rocks? Ah, the devil uses somebody else. Just throw it right back in there. Why? Because he wants you to be stuck on six. The story we read today, and I'm going to close with this so Daniel can start making your way up here. The story we, we chose today to paint the picture, my garden, the dress rehearsal, all for this. No matter what the disciples saw, no matter what they heard, they were stuck in dress rehearsal. They couldn't see the miraculous, powerful things that God wanted to do. If you can do everything in life on your own, honestly, do you need God? No. If you could do everything, if you could pass every test, if you can get the best job and make the most money, are you ever going to think in your mind that you need God? If you think that you can go out there and you can conquer the world and you can conquer every city and you can do this and this and this, do you ever in your mind think that you will need him? Absolutely not. It's when we as people realize that we're broken people, that we're broken, that all of us are born with mistakes and we're all born broken. But in our brokenness, it's in our brokenness and it's getting rid of our rocks that God wants to be, he wants to be shown powerful for you. The disciples, it took three and a half years of being with Jesus, three and a half years to finally get it. They fed 10,000 people. They fed 8,000 people. And they were concerned about one 
loaf of bread, they still couldn't see it. God wants to perform the miraculous for you. But some of us are stuck in the dress rehearsal because we're stuck on six. Stand with me. Seven is the number of completion, the day of rest. It's the live show that God wants you to get to. His very, very best. But we do have to move past these things and be willing to give up every single thing. And we do have to move past ourselves. And we do have to stop saying like the disciples, God, but where? God wants to come out of nowhere and take the little you have and he wants to change the world. God wants to come out of nowhere and he wants to take you, me. He took fishermen, which we love fishermen, they're great. But what did he do with fishermen? He changed the world. And I'm gonna close with this. When the disciples were getting in trouble for preaching, they weren't getting in trouble for shoplifting. They weren't in a fight beating people up. They were getting beaten up. They got arrested for preaching. And when the religious people heard these men, they said, wow. These men are untrained, unschooled. But what was the one thing we recognized about them? They were with Jesus. Do you know what Jesus does for you? We, we celebrate a resurrection. We rose from the grave. And that's the beginning. But today, do you know what he does for you? He takes your life, whatever you have, and all he wants to do is multiply. All he wants to do is to show you how awesome he is just for you. Faith is real. The miraculous is real. God is real. Jesus is alive, and he wants to move on your behalf. Let's pray. We come to you tonight. And of course, we do thank you, God, for our birthday boys today, our birthday Joel today, and Jose. God, but more than our birthdays and more than life, God, we're thankful for you today. God, we're thankful for this story and all the reminders that are through this story. God, we thank you for painting the picture, God, of this and my garden and my thing, my rocks and all the different situations and things that we're holding on to. God, all the just to see and all just to understand. God, help us tonight to see. God, help us to get. God, help us to not be stuck on six anymore. That selfish thoughts, selfish feelings, even pride, God, is stopping us, God, from your very, very best. God, help us to move in this life past ourselves, to move past my two hands. I can get a job and make thousands of dollars. With my two hands, I can build houses and this and that and this and that. And that's none of the things that God's asking you for tonight. God's not asking you to go out and build bigger and better. God's not asking you to do this and that. What he is asking tonight is just for you, just for you, just in this moment and just in this situation. All he's saying is take up your cross and follow me. So simple. Take up your cross and follow me. And in taking up your cross, you're going to die to the number six because you want to see number seven. God, I'm going to get off myself. 
I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop wiping the tears. I'm going to stop singing my tune. I'm going to stop singing the old songs and old friends and this and that. God, I'm going to get off myself. It's a new life. It's a new day. It's a new relationship. God, I'm going to give everything for this new right here in front of me. God, help us to not be stuck on six anymore. Then we may move to number seven, your very best.